everyone. I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 17. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader, What Should I Read Next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we get to that, have you signed up for the What Should I Read Next newsletter? Go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter and subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. Today's guest is Andrea Cumbo Floyd, a farmer, editor, and writer in Charlottesville, Virginia. Andy and I talk about strong female characters, genre-bending novels, and reading diverse books. Her favorites are all over the place, and she has strong feelings about her hated pick, which makes for a very fun conversation. Let's get to it. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a writer, an editor, and a farmer. Um, (laughs) That's a nice combination. Actually, that's kind of a classic combination. Yeah, I kind of think people always think they chuckle. And then I'm like, a lot of people have done this. Like Wendell Berry. I like Uh to compare myself to Wendell Berry. Yes. Although I don't have, I don't usually talk to the spiders. That's usually not a smart move here. (laughs) We have a little farm. I believe that was fiction. Don't worry. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yeah. So we have a little farm at the edge of the Blue Ridge Mountains uh, called God's Whisper. And uh, I work from home and make sure the goats don't get their heads stuck in the fence while I write. (laughs) living the dream the romantic writer's life Andy how does reading fit into your life right now you know I read a lot for a living you know I'm an editor so Mm -hmm. I read a lot of books um, as part of my job and so um, that's wonderful and I really do like getting paid to read books but that does mean sometimes that I don't do as much pleasure reading as I'd like but I'd usually make some time every night you know before I go to bed uh, for the 2.7 seconds I manage to stay awake I Mm -hmm. read a chapter of something Um, so that's kind of how it fits in at this point. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking for books that you're reading for you, not because you have to, how do you choose those books? Kind of depends on what I have to be reading or what else is going on in my life, I guess. So if I'm reading for work, uh, like heavy literary fiction, then I'll probably pick up something like a cozy mystery Mm -hmm. sort of to balance that out. If I'm reading lighter stuff for work, then I might read something heavier, um, and then I do a lot of other sort of volunteer work on history. So if I'm doing a lot of that active work, I'm often picking things that are more 21st, 20th or 21st century just to sort of balance out the historical perspective on things. I can appreciate that. Sounds good. Okay, here's how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Sounds great. Okay, let's start with your favorites. What are three books you love? I love Head Off and Split by Nikki Finney. Ooh. Okay. So that is a fairly recent award-winning poetry collection. Tell us more. How'd you end up picking that up and what did you think? I don't actually have any idea how I ended up picking it up. I don't read a ton of poetry. I use it a little bit in my writing practice, um, but I... I guess I probably saw her speak at the Associated Writing Programs Conference a few years ago. And I've just been, she's inspiring as a person because she's an activist and a writer and a professor, all things I've been in my life. Uh But the book itself deals a lot with uh, questions of racial justice, uh, the history of African-American experience, uh, you know, Hurricane Katrina, the election of President Obama, slavery, 
Um, and I, I, those are all subjects that I care a great deal about. Um, but the poetry itself, it's all free verse. And it's powerful because it's both very personal to Finney's life and then very universal. Um, and I just absolutely adored it. But it's not a book of poetry that, you know, you can, I don't know, maybe you can't do that with any book of poetry. You sort of breeze through it. You have to sort of sit and savor each piece as you go through. Yeah, it's really rich. Um, tell us about where the title comes from. It comes from uh, her talking about uh, fish when her, she grew up in the South. Uh, she, I don't know if she is Geechee, but she grew up in the Geechee Gullah region, region of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so she ate a lot of fish as a child. And so the head off and split is how you prepare a fish. So you would chop its head off and then split it open. Uh-huh. Um, and that's that sort of metaphor runs through the book of poetry. So it's all about uh, the ways African-American bodies have been altered, used, abused, and beautiful, even in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. It is. I haven't read the whole collection. I've read the the title piece and some of it. It is such a good metaphor how she says that when she was a girl, she, I don't know if it was her or her parents, I don't remember, would tell the fishmonger that she wanted it head, heads cut off, split and cleaned. And that was how they always did it. But then when she got older, she says that she wanted her fish whole because she wanted to be the one to decide what gets kept and what gets thrown away. And I thought that was uh, powerful, really powerful. Yeah. And very, I mean, that's sort of emblematic of how the whole collection is where you have a very visceral physical image, which I think is one of the strengths of really good poetry that can be pulled out into that metaphoric level. So you have an image or a sensation or scent or something to hold on to while you sort of let yourself fly into these more abstract concepts. I think that's amazing. Okay. Very nice. Is poetry a departure for you or is that in your regular rotation? I have, I usually am reading one book of poetry all the time. So. And does it take you a week to go through that or like three months to go through that? Oh, months, months. So I usually read, it's typically I read one poem a day. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes if a poem really resonates with me, I'll sit with it for a few days because I want to, I just really want to get it. And I don't, most poetry, at least the poetry I pick up doesn't read quick. So Mm -hmm. I want to sit with it, really get what it's got, that deepness of it. I like that, um, having patience for your work. What's book two, Andy? Uh, Who Fears Death by Nettie Okiofor, and I know <laughs> I butchered her name. but um, That's okay. We'll put it in show notes. Nobody has to try and spell it on their own. Awesome. Awesome. I loved this book. Okay. Now, that um, one could be categorized in like 19 different genres, right? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Okay. So it's sci-fi, fantasy. Um, the author is Nigerian and it's set in Africa. So, you know, it could be world literature or whatever random category uh, Barnes & Noble uses these days. Um, but it's also women's literature. Uh, it's a quest narrative. It's a romance on some levels. <laughs> it's a, I don't know. It's just a lot of things. I mean, I really I adored it. I absolutely adored it. Okay, tell us a little bit about the story. It's it's post-apocalyptic. I haven't read this one, but it is post-apocalyptic, isn't it? In some ways. I mean, it's set in... I haven't actually done a lot of reading around the book, but it's uh-huh. set in, 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 in Africa that we would recognize. And I use the word Africa as a continent because she's working within tribal boundaries, not national boundaries. Okay. So she's moving across what we would consider nations as the book moves along as she does this journey that she's on. Um, but it, it's about a woman named Onwe Yesu. I'm sure I butchered that too, even oh, that though I listened to it on audio. Uh-huh. 
Oh, it's gorgeous. I listened to it on audio and heard it a hundred thousand times and I still can't say it, but, and she has the ability that she discovers, and this is not a spoiler. It comes very early in the book, um, to shape shift, to take on different forms like a vulture. And that turns out that she's a woo, uh, or sorry, that she is a magician and she's also a woo, which means she's uh, a child born out of violence. And so that sometimes links, and that's a pretty good, strong tradition in a lot of um, folklore, violence being linked to magical powers. And so she gets a vision and ends up having to take on a quest uh, to save a variety of people. I won't say any more than that because I don't want to give it away. But the quest involves her uh, boyfriend and a couple of her friends. And they're they're young. I mean, they're in their late teens. Um, but by no means is this a young adult book. Like, it doesn't have that kind mm-hmm. of tone or those mm-hmm. kinds of themes. Um, but it is just absolutely spectacular. And the audio version is amazing. <laughs> so. Okay. So what landed this on your favorites list? Spectacular, but how? <laughs> The writing, um, the storytelling. Yeah, the storytelling, it is not a simple narrative. So it is very complicated both in terms of the storyline. You have lots of different uh, time periods working in. You have that sort of post-apocalyptic but still maybe early 20th century, 21st century feel. Um, the narrator is complex because you're not sure I think she's a she who her allegiances are with you know um, and then Onye herself is rich you know as a character she is strong but she's flawed she has quite a temper Um, she is committed and dedicated almost to a fault Um, and then her friends are Oh, they're the kind of friends we all have that they, they support us in all we do. And yet sometimes they really disappoint us. And so I found it to be really human, um, but just absolutely beautifully written, um, powerful, just a powerful story. Okay. What's book three, Andy? I picked The Cloister Walk. I had like 700 I could have chosen. Oh, of, of course, course. Of course. <laughs> I imagine those um, uh, like bingo machines, you could just pop out a different book every day. Oh, absolutely. I could have pulled them all off my shelf and been like, and we're talking for 19 hours today. That, <laughs> that doesn't sound terrible. <laughs> well, good. Um, okay. Yeah, I love The Cloister Walk uh, by Kathleen Norris. It's, uh, I call it creative nonfiction, but that's just my background. Other people would just call it nonfiction. And it, it's um, sort of set. I don't even know if I'd say it's set, but it's based around the the experience of the holy hours in a monastery where Kathleen Norris is an oblate, so sort of a lay monk. Um, so she's invited to the monastery to pray the hours, to stay for days in the guest quarters. Um, and the book is her experience, but it's also a larger reflection on ideas of faith and religion and quietness. Um, and, and simplicity, you know, her book, The Quotidian Mysteries, which I know you've talked about with other folks on this podcast, um, is one of my favorites for many of the same reasons. But I just, this book, I read at a time of my life that I needed to know it was okay not to do big things. And yeah. I really, it really changed, it, it really made me able to see that a simpler, more stationary, grounded life was holy too. Mm-hmm. And so I'm grateful for that. Okay. Those are uh, diverse picks, Andy. <laughs> All right. Tell us what you hate. Uh, okay. So I, I was an English major. and then I, <laughs> So you've got lots to choose a, from. 
I've got a lot to choose from. And then I was a graduate student in literature too. So um, I picked Ulysses uh-huh. by James Joyce, okay. which is one of these books uh, that I think either you you love, and although I think if you love it, you love it as an intellectual, maybe not a, I don't know, I don't, maybe people do have emotional passion for Ulysses, mm-hmm. but I haven't met those people. But mm-hmm. um, but if you hate it, you really hate it. And I really hate it. Like, <laughs> I, I just find, and it's not because I don't think it's expert. I think James Joyce was brilliant. And there's a great deal of value in, um, in reading things that we don't like, I think. Uh-huh. I think that really matters. But the wordplay in here made it very hard for me to be attached to the plot or the characters or the setting or anything about the book. I just, I couldn't get, I don't, I don't want to stay in my head when I read, I guess. I don't want to be, I don't want it to be an intellectual exercise. So for me, this wasn't, this wasn't awesome. Mm-hmm. So James Joyce in general, important writer, but not to your taste at all. Is there anything you like by him? I love the dead. His short story, The Dead. Oh, so um, what, what, I mean, I realize they're written in a totally different style, but explain to us why you love The Dead and Ulysses, the book you hate. The one book you chose to represent what you I, don't like. <laughs> um, I love The Dead because I love that, well, I love the last image of the snow falling. I probably, I love that story partially just because of that image, because the silence that comes with snowfall is one of my favorite things in the world. Uh-huh. Um, but I also just love this sort of language around that, that Joyce uses in that it's simpler, it's more direct, it has an emotional evocativeness that I am not able to access in Ulysses. Andy, what are you reading right now? I am reading Brown Girl Dreaming, uh-huh. which I almost done with and really enjoy although I find myself despite the content as content I would love not over the moon about it a lot of people seem to be really over the moon I think it's beautiful are you reading it on paper or as an audiobook I am reading on paper and I'm wondering if I would connect to it more as Uh an audiobook Uh but I like it it's just I'm not over the moon about it but did um, you expect to be over the moon about it like had you heard a lot of hype I did. I'd had a lot of people that know me well recommend it to mm-hmm. me. And like I said, the subject matter, you know, racism in the South, I'm from the South, that all just resonates with me in a, in a real way. And I haven't finished it. So there's yeah. the chance that it's going to be one of those books that I get to the end of. And I'm like, <gasps> but it's, I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. So. It does. It does sound like a likely pick for you. Go listen to the five minute audible sample. I, okay. It's hard for me to know when I first experience a book on paper or as an audio book, what it would be like if I'd chosen the other path. I did that on audio and I was skeptical that it was actually, I'd heard too much about it and I'd heard it was really important. And that's kind of a danger word for me, which I don't know. My brain interprets that as code for boring, but I did it on audio. And within a couple of minutes, I was like, Oh, why did I wait so long? So, or or maybe it was doomed because of all the, you know, it just couldn't live up to expectations. That's possible. That's totally possible. (laughs) Okay. What else is on your stack? I'm reading uh, Jaber Crow uh-huh. by Wendell Berry. First time? Um, Ninth time? Yes. That sounds up your First alley. Time. Really? I don't really reread. Okay. So um, too many books I can't reread. Uh-huh. I have things I have to do. I can appreciate but, uh, that. Yeah. So I, and I love it. I will say I'm reading it really slowly. Uh-huh. I read fast, but I'm not, and part of it is just, I love Wendell Berry. I love all his philosophies about life. I just, adore him and so I think I want to savor it but also it's not sort of a quick read you know I'm not sort of flipping through storylines really fast so no he's but I love it he's deep and dense 
Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're finally reading that and enjoying it so much. Me too. Me too. And then the last one I'm reading right now is a cozy mystery novel by uh, Avery Adams called The Long Quiche Goodnight. (laughs) That is fantastic. Uh Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I went away last weekend and I left uh, my book bag at home. You'll understand how that was a major crisis. So the first thing I did, my husband took me to a bookstore like immediately. (laughs) He was like, this is going to be a long weekend if you don't have anything to read. And so I found a used bookstore and they had, and and I like cozy mysteries because I. Now explain to us when you say cozy mystery, what you have in mind. Uh, usually it's set in a small town. Usually there's some sort of, I, I like the ones particularly that have a craft element. So the knitting ones, the sewing ones, like this one set in a cheese shop, um, you know, where somebody's doing the the narrator, the amateur sleuth is doing something that they're passionate about that doesn't have anything to do with solving mysteries. And then they get pulled in. So, but it's usually sweet. The murders are not gruesome. You know, there's not a lot of CSI, I have to understand what a mass spectrometer thingy does, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just simple, Mm -hmm. good story, you know, murder she wrote on the page. So although that was on the page. That's a good description. (laughs) Wait, really? I didn't know that. I I think there was a series of books, but I would be remiss to say if I know for sure if the books came first or the TV show came first. I'm not sure. I had no idea. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? You know, there's two things. One, I would like to read more for pleasure, just purely for pleasure. Although I listened to your recent podcast uh, with the women from She Reads, and the the reality is I don't know that any of us read totally for pleasure anymore when we do this work, but I'd like to do that more. Um, And I'd also like, as much as I try really to be very intentional about reading across cultures and ethnicities, and national boundaries. I don't do that as much as I'd like, mm-hmm. and I'd like to be more diverse. Okay. Andy, we are going to pull out the common threads and get some books for your TBR list right after the break. Yay! Readers, welcome back. Andy, here's what I'm seeing. At first glance, your titles don't have a ton in common. Um, they are all written by women. You've chosen books by two African-American authors. And I was wondering if you were being intentional about the Read Diverse Books movement. And I'm glad to see you are. Do you have, is it easy or difficult to find titles that feel diverse to you? It probably is easier than I want to say it is. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm white and, you know, that's the cultural background that I was raised in. So it, for me, it feels difficult. Um, but that's probably just that I'm not trying hard enough, like, you know, which sounds paradoxical, I realize, but, um, like I probably just need to do something like take my reading notebook and write down the titles I see by writers of color more frequently and then be intentional about picking them up. The challenge, that is the challenging part though. In our local library, the number of books by writers of color is very slim, because the population of people of color in this rural area is very small. So I'd need to go an hour into the city probably to be able to check those out more easily. Is that Charlottesville for you? That is Charlottesville for me. Okay. I also noticed that your books are diverse, not just in their authorship, but in their content. You have a realistic, supernatural, genre-bending fantasy story. You have a heavy-hitting, award-winning poetry collection, and you have a landmark spiritual memoir. So 
That was interesting. They're all realistic, even if they're fantastical. They're all serious in tone, and they all really address issues that matter. I don't think you're reading any of these books, you know, that the cozy, the long quiche goodnight. <laughs> Maybe fun, but it wasn't on your all-time favorites list. Um, I don't doubt you read books that are entertaining and entertain you, but I don't think that's why you picked any of those up. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and you can tell by my shelves like I don't keep like I will the long quiche tonight good night is fun um but it will go we have a little free library here on our farm it'll uh, immediately oh, go to be given away there as opposed to these other ones that I actually own and have and will keep on my shelves uh-huh. that to me is sort of how I can tell whether I take something you know seriously in that sense I guess just your instinctive reaction if it goes out to the little free library or not that's right okay nice that's right. so I don't think we want to find books for you that you describe as like, oh, good, clean, fun, escapist. We want smart, slightly eccentric, reflective, maybe even ponderous books that it's okay to defy like neat categorizations. Um, You seem to like things that break down misconceptions. You're okay with big feelings. You like nuance. I think you'd be especially happy to find titles that are told from the perspective of a perceptive outsider because you've got a lot of that going on. How does all that sound? That sounds perfect. Okay. Absolutely perfect. All right. Tell me how you feel about these. Book one okay. is When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams. What do you know? Well, I know Terry Tempest Williams um, from Refuge, but I don't know When Women Were Birds. I loved Refuge because of the environmental piece of it, mm-hmm. the women's health piece, you know, with the breast cancer um, issues in her family and I, and the nature writing, all of that stuff I loved in that book. So tell me more about this one though. Okay. Oh, I'm excited that you don't know this one. Okay. The premise of this book should give you goosebumps. I didn't mean to say should about your reading. What I meant to say is I hope, I hope. Okay. (laughs) It's a memoir. Here's the setup. Before she dies, the author's mother, and it sounds like, you know, a little about her family, big Mormon family, important matriarch figure is who her mother is. So her mom tells her, I'm leaving you all my journals when I die, and you have to promise me you won't look at them until after I'm gone. So the author, Terry Thomas Williams, she didn't know her mother kept journals, but it turns out that she had three shelves full of them. There were 54 in all, and then her mother dies, and she opens the journals, and they're all blank. So in this book, in 54 Reflections, that's one for each empty journal, the author examines what what happened? Like, what was my mother trying to say? So it's set up kind of like the cloister walk in that there's there's a series of related short meditations, but they're all independently written. She looks at a different facet of presence and absence and white space and silence and voice and identity. And it's, I've never read anything else like it. This is a book that makes you want to use words like kaleidoscope and crafted. How does that sound? That sounds amazing for a lot of reasons. I just like the premise, but also because my mother left me a blank journal when she died. No, she did not. Are you serious? Yeah. No, I'm serious. I gave her a journal years ago for her to fill in her reflections on life. And Uh she gave it to me when she was dying and said, here, and there was nothing written in it. So that's unbelievable that you picked that. I will will be going online when we get off. Okay. I I need to know what you think about that one afterwards. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Book two mm-hmm. is The Killing Moon by Nora Jemison. She is an African-American contemporary author. This features an unusual storyline. 
It's set in an interesting fantasy world. Her world building is great. Multicultural characters. And it's really, uh, she weaves in theological topics in a really interesting way. So this is, this is a kind of book that maybe I hope that you would stay awake for more than 2.7 seconds for when you, um, you know, sit down in bed at night, especially your pick of who fears death makes me think that you appreciate storytelling on a grand scale. And this delivers that sort of immersive story. And it's also set in a city state that's supposed to be reminiscent of ancient Egypt. It has a name that I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but you know, you don't need to know that to sit down and enjoy it. And it has fantastical elements that you would expect in a story in this genre. You know, you have hideous monsters and goddesses and all all kinds of interesting characters that you don't encounter on your farm in Virginia. But <laughs> but Jemison does a convincing job of of developing this world that that hangs together. How does that sound? That sounds fascinating. Like that sounds like a good uh, weekend road trip kind of book for me where I can kind of disappear into a, into a new world. But yeah, that, that's exactly what I like. I love, you know, I don't necessarily love pedantic books, but I like book like 1984 is a little bit lost on me, but I do like. <laughs> is it a little too um, agenda ish? Yeah, it's just sort of, I feel a little bit like I'm getting a sermon and uh-huh. I don't necessarily want a sermon, I guess. I mean, it, the, it's important, but um, it also, 1984 is always, you know, now it's a little too pointed, so maybe I should reread it, I guess. But um, but this sounds like I could sort of glean some of that stuff from myself um, in Jemison's work without feeling like I'm being preached at, which I like a lot. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. I'm glad to hear it. So book three is Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. What do you know? I don't know that book at all. I have read Kindred um, by her, which I adored. Um, Absolutely loved it, but I don't know Parable of the Sower at all. Okay. Now, Kindred really made me think of your book, Steel Secrets, because Kindred weaves together um, a modern day story. There's a time travel element and time travel isn't the point, but it's the device that lets Octavia Butler explore what life was like as a slave in the antebellum South in America. And it really reminded me of your book, Steel Secrets. Not not that they were the same, but just I appreciated the creative ways that it brought slavery to the forefront. Like, how long ago did you read Kindred? I probably read it two or three years ago. Maybe not quite that long ago, but uh-huh. not in the far past, but not, you know, last month. So loved it, though. Lo- and exactly for exactly what you said, which is, I mean, I read a lot of books that are set in slavery because I write about that. But um, I liked the time travel piece as a, de- like you said, a device, but not the point. You know, I love the time traveler's wife, but that was the point was time travel in mm-hmm. that book. This book I just loved because that, you know, it has a purpose and she uses it, but it's not, that's not the central point. So I really liked them. Okay. Well, if you enjoyed Kindred, which was written a long time ago, I think you will enjoy the more recent parable of the sower. And I don't want readers to be fooled by the title. Like I saw this book out there for years and I assumed that it was a novel set in biblical times because there is a parable of the sower in the gospels. And I assumed that that was 
what the book was going to be about, but it's not that at all. This is a dystopian novel. It's set in the future. Uh, specifically, it's 2024, I believe. And it's the diary of a teenager named Lauren. And she's writing about how she and her family are struggling to survive the collapse of civilization. And they're trying to form a new religion. And her idea is that God is change. And it's it has a lot of typical dystopian elements, but it's so interesting to see the way Butler brings that to life. Like she and her family live in one of the only remaining safe neighborhoods on the outskirts of LA and her father's a preacher. And he, along with a handful of other citizens are trying to save what's left of their culture that has just been totally destroyed by chronic shortages of water and gasoline and food. And her father is trying to lead people on the right path, but Lauren is really struggling with hyper empathy, which makes her just too sensitive to the pain of others for her own good. And I can't say too much about it without um, delivering massive spoilers, but this is um, survival and coming of age and just a really gripping novel about, (laughs) about, keeping it together, like individually, as a family, as a culture, in a world that's just falling apart. How does that sound to you? That sounds great. Like it reminds me of, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I was going to say, it reminds me of two books that I read. Oh, maybe just, I read both of them last year, Station Eleven and uh, Ready Player One. Like, you know, the Ready Player One's a video game book, yes, but it also has that post-apocalyptic setting. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and and I I think it's just said a little bit earlier than this one. Yeah, that's right. It's like 2021 or something, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So, and I like that. I It's again, that use of a device, like the post-apocalyptic setting, but not the point. Like I loved Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Mm-hmm. Amazing, beautiful, powerful. Also very, very hard because that is the whole point of the book, you know? So I like when you get, you know, because our settings are not usually the point in life, I guess. And so I like when the setting is there, I see it and it affects things, but it's not the central element of the story. Right. Like the setting is interesting and it allows you to, it's almost like the different setting lets you be more open to, to the events of the actual story than you would be if it was set in your own neighborhood. That's exactly right. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I just love that you mentioned Ready Player One and Station Eleven. Those are two wonderful books. Not just, I mean, Ready Player One is a genre book. Station Eleven is too... I want to say that it's too well written to be a straight genre novel without actually saying that it's too well written to be a genre novel. But the writing is just so good in it is what I mean. I'm glad you've already found and loved that one. Oh, it was unbelievable. That's another one I listened to too. And the audio is amazing. Oh, that's good. It's one of those audiobooks, yeah, that I've listened to and I can remember where I was, like Mm -hmm. in my car, when I was listening to it, like different scenes because it was that sort of, it had that sort of emotional resonance for me. Yeah. Some of her, wow, I sound like such a nerd, but some of her sentences were just amazing. Like her turns of phrase about the telephone and what, what it looks like the day that everybody ran out of gasoline and just so, so interesting. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Andy, what do you think you'll read next? I don't know. I'm inclined to think I might read when women were birds, but the emotional resonance of that may be a little much for me at this moment in my life. So um, I actually might pick up the Jemison because that, I don't know, it just sounds like it would be good. Not escapist fiction, but, you know, it'll let me just. Dis- 
appear out of my own life. And that's always good when the goats need their hooves trimmed. (laughs) (laughs) That's what everyone says. (laughs) Andy, thanks for talking books with me today. Thanks for having me, Anne. It was a pleasure. Hey, everyone. I love chatting with Andy, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation, too. You can find her online at andylit.com and on Twitter at andylit. That is A-N-D-I-L-I-T. Before we go, don't forget to sign up for the What Should I Read Next newsletter. This is a short, fun, informative resource for the reading life, and you'll be the first to know about any new happenings with the show. Just go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter and sign up there. That's whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Thanks again so much for listening. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Vogel. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Readers, that's it for this episode. As Reiner Maria Relka says, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.